Got car trouble. Now's the time to talk with Jerry on the Simmons Car Care Shop Talk Show. Call in now at 719-1490. Well, if you're one of the millions who own one of them gas-drinking, piston clanking, air-polluting, smoke-belching, four-wheeled buggies from Detroit City, then pay attention. I'm about to sing your song, son. Good morning, Southern Arizona and the rest of you out there in cyberspace. Welcome to the Simmons Car Care Shop Talk Show right here on ESPNTucson.com. 1490 AM, 104.9 FM. We can also pick up a podcast, or you can, uh, on Sketches, Spotify, and Stitches, and ESPNTucson.com. In, in case you missed the show or want to find out what we were actually discussing, which we are going to be covering a lot of good stuff this morning also. I'm Jerry Simmons, your host, along with me. On the other end of the phone this morning is Jim Mooney, owner of Frontier Towing, better known as uh, ha- uh, Mr. Super Safe Saturday. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Jerry. Good morning, everybody. And it's a Super Safe Saturday, a Super Safe Super Bowl Saturday. So since Super Bowl's tomorrow, we've got to be extra careful today so we can Super Bowl tomorrow. How about that? Okay. <laughs> that's well said. If you're if you're happy with that, that's great. That's great. Uh, <clears throat> so what's going on in the towing world, buddy? Oh, just uh, picking them up and setting them down. Not you know every every day is a new day with a uh, with the electric cars and you know fuel prices skyrocketing and uh, your insurance rates out of the roof. You know people are uh, and, well not being able to get parts for vehicles uh, shops giving you, you know, many week lead time. So people are, uh, what we see is people um, want cars picked up and they're like, um, yeah, if you pick it up today, that's okay because, well, they can't work on it for a week anyways. Okay. <laughs> or, you know, I want to take my car to get a tire put on, but, yeah, the guy doesn't have the tire. Um, so let's, hopefully, we, maybe we'll take it to another place to find another tire. And what's my favorite tire? Round with a hole in the middle. You know, I, I don't even care the brand anymore. So, um, <laughs> towing is is, is uh, towing towing is uh, becoming challenging because people, you know, destinations are now fluid. It used to be I pick it up, I take it there, I set it down. Now it's oh, I'll, I'll pick it up in a week because my appointment for my repair is in a week. So can I schedule this for, you know, Tuesday so the car can be working on Wednesday a week from now? Uh, which is really oh. really kind of different for us because we're used to people calling, and they still do. We're used to people calling going, hey, my car is broke down. I need you right now. Um, we're going to take it to the shop, and it's going to get fixed. And that's more uh-huh. along the line of, um, hi, the car's, 
the cars broke down and not a lot I can do about it. So, are you uh, <clears throat> are you towing a lot of late model cars like 218, 1920s and stuff like that for breakage? You know, just it's not common. Um, mo- Another- mostly the, the the later models is is SCS computer lights, check engine lights, SCS lights. Um, really? uh, some some yeah some recalls that the a lot of the recalls like airbags are are done with, but more more computer issues um, went out no start. I can turn my I can turn it on, uh, my radio comes on, my lights come on, but it won't start. I I turn it on, you know. Um, it won't start at all. I turn it on now. There's a, there wasn't a light when I turned it off. There's a light on now. How did the light come on? You know, right. you 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 shut it off perfectly last night. You got out, you put your keys in your pocket, you went inside your home, you got it this morning, and now there's a light on. Um, we see a lot of that. So, and you know, when you see the light on, you like Brian says, it's a computer on wheels. Well, what, you know, what do you do? You know, if I drive it, does it hurt it? You know, I don't want to crash. Okay. I called the shop. Shop said tow it in because, you know, we don't want to risk it because um, we don't, the light's on. We don't know what, I, you, there's 18,000 lights today. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there's so many lights on your dashboard. I don't even know how people do it. So, yeah, so we see a lot of that. And then we see, see the regular run of mechanical failures. Not Not tremendous, but a lot, you know. I the brakes failed because you know it's two hundred thousand miles. Yeah, the master master cylinder went out. You know, kind of those unforeseen yeah. um, things. Yep, and then there's the crashes. You know, I was driving down the road. I was I was texting away, and hey, now I'm now I'm broke down because I crashed. Oh, more, more uh, uh, um, in between September, January, and September last year, there was like thirty three percent more crashes in the U.S. than there were in the previous year. So in 2021, there were 33% more crashes in nine months than there were in the whole year of 2020 due to distracted driving, um, due to um, uh, bad conditions, people not paying attention, DUI, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. So that, that we're, not go- we're, not, we're not going doing this right, guys. we got to go down on those numbers, not up. We want to get down on the numbers. Super safe Saturday. Super Safe Saturday, yeah. Super Bowl weekend. Well, that that works for me. On the, uh, <clears throat> uh, you you pick them up, you know, when people have the lights, like the lights come on and they're afraid to drive it. That's understandable. But what I need to get out to them is when the light comes on, it's an indicator that you're operating out of parameter. If the light comes on solid and it won't start, well, that's, that's probably a reason to have it towed in. Uh, if the light just comes on and it comes on and, and it goes to, uh, if it flickers on and stays on for about 15 seconds or something like that, and then it goes off, it means, hello, then watch it if it comes back on again. Uh, it just means that it's, it's, it's picked up something during the scan of the engine component or the electronic system that it has picked up a uh, issue with one of those sensors or something that has just went out of uh, parameters in a short period of time. Uh, it's just, it flicked out, they picked it up, 
And so you just need to get it in and have it checked out at your convenience. It's not really that critical. Even a solid light, a solid light will come on and say, okay, you need to get this thing in. It has set a hard code, which is what that's called. Do not clear those codes yourself. Don't, don't clear them. We need that history. All it's doing is hanging on to the history so that when you take it to the shop, they can hook the computer's interface with it and pull up the codes and find out what's actually going on. It gives us a, a pattern to follow because you can have one code set and it'll be caused by another issue. And you, you just need to keep that information so that we'll have a way to save you time and save aggravation and hopefully get the right one when it's an intermittent problem. So don't clear the codes, okay? And if the light is blinking, when the light comes on in a dash and it starts blinking, then it's time for you to say, I think maybe I am too far away from my garage. Uh, like Jim said, you, probably going to be waiting in line when you go to these garages anyway because everybody seems to be buried right now. Uh, the Just remember that that flashing red light means just exactly that. It is critical. It can possibly be doing additional damage to your motor if not immediately uh, tended to. So the flashing red light on the dash is get it to the shop. You're going on the, the – that car is telling you or the vehicle is telling you that you need to get it in to repair now. And that's when you might want to consider, well, I don't know if I drive it or not. You know, be honest with you, uh, I haven't had anything that had a flashing red light on it. But I've seen a lot of them that have, and people will call and say, is it okay to drive? That's a $64,000 question. We don't know because that light has spotted something that's critical and it needs to be taken care of. So at that point, I'd probably call Frontier towing at 748-1100 and have it brought into the shop. Call in a, uh, a shop and say, okay, I got, I have a light on. You know, it's it stays on. Yes, you need to get it in to the shop. But remember, you can have a light come on in a dash, and some of the cars will just show you a light when you've got low tires in your TPS monitor, uh, TPS system. And because of the cold weather, your tires are just low, okay? And they won't say, like my diesel does, uh, you've got uh, the right rear is, is down six pounds or seven pounds or 10 pounds. It won't t- it'll tell you exactly on my truck, it will. It'll show you all four tires and what the pressure is. What it don't show you is what the pressure is in the spare tire. So don't forget that spare tire. The spare tire will not set a code, and it will still be down. So when you take your vehicle in for any kind of an oil service, make sure they check your spare tire and make sure it's up. But as far as the lights, just remember, you get a a light that comes on, on and off. It takes 15 seconds to set a hard code in there so we can monitor it. <clears throat> on on the OBD2 system. Some of the other stuff that they've got out there is so fast, it'll pick it up. It's anything that makes a, a light flash will be stored in memory. That's what we need to see. And if it if the light blinks, that's when you are that's when it's time to get that thing in. You're on the vehicle's time now. You're not on your time anymore unless you want to spend a lot of money. But 
after that vehicle starts to blink that light, you could drive it, but it may cut the power down on it because it sees something in there that it wants taken care of. And the only way it can do it internally is to shut down some of the other systems to try to get you in. A, it's called a limp mode. It'll limp you into a shop. So that's the deal with the flashing red light. The solid red light means it's there. You need to get it in and have it checked out. Don't clear the code. It'll still show up when you drive it to the shop. They'll plug into it, and they'll be able to get the current information off of it. So don't panic, but uh, unless it, it – and don't panic, period. If it's a flashing red light, so it's a flashing red light, all right? It's just it's – got, it's got you covered. It's telling you there's something going on that's not right, and you get it in and get it repaired. You know, I was uh, – over at Brian Fuller's, Mr. Test First Don't Guess, um, a couple of days ago, and I was talking to Brian and talking to Mitch over there, who's the uh, service writer for Brian, his son. And I said, and Brian said, well, you know what I want you to put on the radio Saturday? He said, people that have extended warranties or warranties on their vehicles, don't forget your responsibility of this. Because they had uh, a vehicle come in and had an extended warranty, but when they researched it, when the warranty company researched it, uh, they found out that the client was not keeping up with what their responsibility was, which is to maintain this vehicle properly and on time. And they're finding out, well, we've said it on the program a, a gazillion times, it seems, that when you go get an oil change, uh, you take it in and, you know, 15 minutes later, you get your car back. It's got an oil change. That is not an oil service. An oil service is when you take it in and they check all of the critical components of the car. They check all the fluid levels. Of course, the, some, the uh, oil service places, when you get an oil change, they've gotten into where they'll check your fluid levels too. But the difference between... A, job, a, a shop like Brian Fuller's at Automotive Specialists or Parker Automotive or Simmons, when you go in, they'll do a check sheet on you. They will get a check sheet. What they're doing is they're building a records for their files. We get it in. So the next time you show up, we may have flagged something on this oil service that's okay right now, but it's just a, a area where we need to pay attention to because either mileage on the car or the time that goes by. And so we will flag that. We'll have the computer records. We pull it. We review it. And that way we can stay ahead of the game, keep you aware of what's going on. And then if it's going to be something major, then but yet it's coming. We know it's coming. We can see the sign, the signs of it, but we don't know exactly when it's going to come because you're still driving it on a daily basis. You may drive it more one day than you did yesterday. You may take it and go to Phoenix or San Diego and come back. That changes the drive time and the mileage on it. So it's a lot of stuff that's involved in that. But if you go to an oil service, which they check everything, they check your brakes. They check your coolant. They tag your coolant. They find out what the condition of your coolant is. They find out what the condition of your battery is. Uh, like Parker, Parker rolls them up and does a uh, front-end uh, 
alignment check to make sure you're still in alignment. And you would not believe how many people are wearing out tires now with uh, alignment issues. So uh, a service, an oil service is real critical, real critical. So extended warranties, remember, just because you have a warranty don't mean that you can ignore your responsibility on that because like they did at Brian's, they said, no way, we're not paying for that. He did not hold up to his end of the bargain on this. And it's a contract. They have a contract just like that warranty has a contract. And if you don't honor your end of the contract, guess what? They void the warranty, and they don't make any bones about it. They just, as Brian said, they said no, period, no. So when you've got these extended warranties or you've got the 36-month warranty from the new cars, you have a responsibility to take care of that car. And one question I asked them one time, I said, okay, if you have a car and you have 100,000 miles on that car and or you have 90,000 and you have something covered under warranty just because you're a little nervous about it and you read on Google or something like that that this part, this part on this car has a tendency to break around, you know, 90 to 100,000 miles. So they have the part actually replaced and can pull it off under warranty because they probably have the same information or it's probably some small deal. How far does that warranty extend past 100,000 miles? If it would normally carry a three-year warranty on this particular repair, will it carry over past the 100,000-mile warranty and you can pick it up again on the other side? No. No, you won't. So when you get these things done, if you get it done, uh, I think uh, Simmons, Parker, Merles, we have coast-to-coast, three-year, 36,000-mile warranty on the parts and labor and stuff. So when when you get that, then we don't care about the mileage. So it's 100,000 miles. We don't care. we got a three-year, 36,000-mile uh, warranty on that thing coast-to-coast. We will cover it because it's the parts we put on there from a reputable parts place, and we know this part should last that long. We don't care about what the mileage are on it as long as that car is maintained. So you just remember, you have a contract as well as that warranty company has a contract with you. Both of you have to honor the contract. And sometimes it gets real sticky and real close. The only warranty that really lights my fire is the part that quits one day or one week after the warranty expires. And I'm going, how'd they do that? I mean, how do you make a part that can get that close to the end of the warranty and just quit? <laughs> it's like, that's, okay, that's here we go. Marketing. Uh, I, yeah, you say that, Jerry. I've towed out a lot of cars out of shops that that have they were towed in. We towed them in, and you know, adamant uh, owner adamant about now I have full warranty, I have full coverage, and then it comes exactly like you said. Hey, okay, so pull up your documentation. Show us, show us what you did. We, we simply ask for proof that you did the oil changes. Well, I did it myself. Okay, that's great. Do you have the receipts? Do you have the receipts for the that time and date of the oil? Do you have the receipts for the time and date of the filter? Show us what you did. Tell us what you did. You know what what took place. And if you can't produce that, it's like going to court. You know, yay, you're guilty. You you can't you can't back up your story. 
they you're done. They're, they're not going to cover it. Now, I've told a lot out, you know, where somebody says, oh, the, you know, and of course, I understand the insurance company, you know, they're a big, bad insurance company. They make money. But, you know, the they have to see, you have to give them something to go with. If you can't, then they're not going to cover it. Because a lot of, because everybody just says, oh, I did it perfectly. Eh, we're all human. We all make mistakes. You know, we don't write everything down every single time. That's why when you take it someplace and they go, hey, my motor failed, and they and they come to you, Jerry, and they, you print out the report and go, there it is. And take it to them, and they supply it, and they go, yep, everything's done. We're good to go. And it's a lot easier because, like like you said, Jerry, the, the warranty doesn't cover everything. You know, it might cover the motor. But it doesn't cover the water pump, so they ain't gonna buy the water pump when you put on put in your new motor. And if you don't put in the water pump when you put in your new motor, then they're not gonna care. They're not gonna let you have a new warranty. You know things like that. There's in the, all that's the right. Loop. In the event that you have a, that's an excellent point right there, because people spend a lot of money on an engine, and you say, okay, well it's down, and uh, let's go ahead and put a water pump on it while it's here because it's down. We have to change a water pump anyway. And so let's put a new water pump on it and pick up the warranty on that water pump. But if you pick up the water, the warranty on the water pump, a new water pump that you put on there, and then something happens and overheats, a water pump failure, then believe it or not, that water pump, whoever manufactured that water pump, is now on the hook for the engine. If you don't put do if you don't do due diligence on these brand new motors when you put them in there like from Jasper engine which we use and have good success with it or any of your crate motors that come from the manufacturers from OE uh and it overheats they have little heat tabs on these motors and when the motor really overheats they'll they'll do their own investigation but if the installing garage didn't check out the radiator to make sure it's capable of handling this new tighter motor, now it's running like it's supposed to, but it needs a cooling system fix. Now, last week, uh, Scott from Parker Automotive and I, we covered the cooling system in depth. So we're trying to get you to where you, you're aware of what can actually go wrong with this. It's not just, oh, well, we've got a stuck thermostat. I mean, people, thermostat is completely out of sight, and you don't, some of them have got two thermostats now, and you don't even know they're there. You know, why? Well, you work in the computer industry, and you can fix my computer, and I can't fix that computer. We're in the automotive industry, and we live with that stuff on a day-to-day basis like you do in computer repair. And so when we see these things, we see the little warning signs. We'll look at the mileage on the car. We'll look at the service. How often do you change your coolant? I mean, is the acid level in the coolant too high? And uh, what was it last week? Somebody said, "How do you how do you check the uh, electrolysis in a water system? You put an ohmmeter in there. That's how you measure the uh, amount of electricity going through these things, and we can check that." But if you don't do due diligence, but if a shop, like if Simmons puts a Jasper motor in and we go, okay, this motor, the reason he's replacing it because it's failed, it's got 160,000 miles on it, and we take a look at it and we start looking at water pumps. We look at all the accessories that is responsible for cooling that engine down once we put it in. Because when we put it in, we put a computer on that sucker and we verify that everything is working exactly the way it's supposed to work. 
and then we'll turn it loose. We'll bring you back in 15 days. We'll do a backup checkup. We'll change the oil that was in it for break-in, and we'll give you a new set of oil, and we send the other oil out to have it tested to make sure we don't have any boogers hanging around inside that motor. And this is the proper way to do it. But if you don't, if you put a bad radiator in there, you say, ah, the fluid looks good in it. You know, well, when did the guy change it? Last week? Maybe he didn't change the fluid prior to that for five or six years. So you've got a bunch of stuff hiding in there that you can't actually see. And we use temperature guns to check the radiator once that engine is rolling to make sure, especially if we say, oh, well, that radiator, he's only had it in there for about six months. Okay, good. Now, what we're going to do when we fire it up is we will say, okay, it looks clean. It appears to be clean. Now let's see if it's working. We will actually take a heat gun and check the temperature in the radiator to make sure that the circulation is through the complete radiator. And if there's any hot spots or cold spots in that radiator, cold spots mean something's plugged up. It's not flowing through. So there is a process that goes along with these little engine jobs that cost five, six, seven thousand dollars. One, I want you out on the road. We didn't put a motor in there just so we could put a motor in there. We put a motor in there so that darn thing would roll down the road or the engine would take it down the road. Your fuel delivery system, your injectors in these uh, cars, they need to be up to snuff because if you have a failed injector and a dry or wet cylinder, you can have a problem with that engine actually sealing up properly because it's got a gas wash in the cylinder. All of that stuff has to be checked. We need to know it's working exactly the way it's supposed to work. And that's one of the reasons that Simmons is a Jasper uh, warranty. If you have somebody, we fixed one out of Benson, Arizona, and had to be towed in. And Jasper, they called Jasper on the motor because it warranted, and he said, this is where you take it in Tucson, Arizona, and they will fix it. And then we have a direct line into Jasper, of course, and I really haven't had any problems with uh, any kind of a warranty claim or anything from Jasper Engine. So that's one of the reasons we use them. We we go with the guys, you know, and uh, you buy the engine from Chevrolet, you buy the engine from Ford. If that thing acts up, it's guaranteed from Ford. They want to see that engine. They have the right to see what went wrong so that they can send it back into the manufacturer, whoever built the engine for them and say, hey, we have a problem with this, because it backs up. It's not only Simmons that's backing you, it's Jasper Engine is backing you, because Jasper is all across the country. He has these little repair stations all across the country, because they they have a massive production plant, and they send a lot of engines out. And just like with anything that's mechanical, they're subject to fail. You know, new parts? Yeah. So... That's where it's at on the engines. Okay, Jim, what else you got? Well, I like the, I'm not, the comment you said about 15 days after you you put the motor in and you bring them back after 15 days to to flush to change the oil, right? To get the get the break-in oil out. That's what you do, right? Well, we need about need about 500 miles on it if you can get 500 miles on it. We've actually had people bring them back, and they only had like 120 miles on it, and said, you need to run it a little bit further for this so we can get a full reading on the heat cycles that the engine goes through, if there's going to be any leaks or anything like that. That's the reason we like to see about 500 miles on it, because the heat cycles – 
before the uh, gaskets and all of that stuff that's on, on that engine, it gives it a chance to run the heat cycles, swell the gaskets, uh, and w- then we can check it for leaks. And that's one of the big reasons because we don't like we don't want anything liquid coming out of that motor, whether it be coolant, whether it be oil, we don't care, transmission fluid, uh, anything. And that radiator is responsible for cooling the transmission, so it has to be correct. You've got a brand new engine in there; it should run for a cool hundred thousand miles. Three years. Um, Three-year, 100,000 miles on a new Jasper engine. And most of your dealerships have the same same warranty on them. Three years, 100,000 miles. So you put a new engine in a car, it's got a three-year, 100,000-mile warranty on it. That doesn't mean you can't change the oil in it. That's the reason if you stay with a place that's got computer systems with the notifications in there saying, okay, Jerry, it's just about time. Uh, you're within uh, about a week or it's time, just point blank, it's time. You call in the shop and say, no, you're running a little bit early, but that's okay. You can bring it in. It's better to change the oil two weeks early than it is six months later. Uh, that that voids warranties. Oh, and getting to the warranty, you have to remember that when you go into Merle's or uh, any of your parts houses and you buy uh, five quarts of oil, four quarts of oil, and a, and a oil filter. Don't cheat on the oil filter. Get a good oil filter. And when you put it in and you get that little receipt, get a copy of that receipt because they've got disappearing ink on, on those papers. You could put it, you could throw it in your dash and you pull it out and it looks like a little ticker tape. It just sat there and there's nothing on it. There's no date. There's no name. There's no cost factors, nothing that you can prove that you actually purchased this oil. And put the, you can put it in a, a plastic bag or service. Uh, maybe you have a little service guide that you have in there. You can put it in your service guide. But keep these things handy, and you can then you can prove when you've done it. You need a date and time. Write, take a pen and write the darn date and time down on the paper, take a copy of it, fold it up, put it in a uh, gallon freezer bag or something, put it in your dash, and then you will have this information because I'm going to tell you something. What happened, and a guy called in on the radio about, oh, probably eight, ten years ago, and he had a Nissan pickup, had 61,000 miles on it, but he had a 100,000-mile warranty on the whole vehicle. He took it into the thoroughbred shop here in Tucson, and he had a <coughs> excuse me. He had an engine failure, and they said, "How often did you change your oil?" He says, "Oh, I changed it." And uh, he says, "They said, did you keep the paperwork?" Well, yeah, but it faded out. Remember that ticker tape? It faded out. I can't read it. Well, neither could they. The proof is your responsibility, not theirs. You are actually guilty till proven innocent. <laughs> and he wound up, and he was very honest about it. He said, I don't remember how often I actually changed it. Did I change it at 3,000? Did I go 4,000? And he just said, he said, well, let me tell the rest of you what they'll do. 
They canceled that warranty right there on the spot. I had to buy a brand-new engine out of pocket. And that was from a guy that was that did it, admitted it, told us exactly what he had done in good faith, but he didn't he couldn't back it up. And he didn't have anything to say, okay, I changed it one time at three thousand miles, I changed it another time at four thousand miles, and oh by the way, I should be able to go five thousand miles, or did I go seven thousand miles and supposed to change it at five thousand? You know, so the confusion was there, but you have to have the documents to back it up because, you know, people will have a tendency to say, yeah, I'll change it every 3,000 miles. Well, they got, they caught on to that really quick. So now if you have a warranty issue, you must provide the paperwork to show that you have held up your end of that contract. So that's about all I have to say on warranties and cars. Uh, oh, Another thing that Brian said, if you have a leak, an oil leak, transmission leak, for goodness sakes, get it fixed before it leaks out. They just had an issue with a little uh, transmission, CVT transmission, and the fluid went out, and it absolutely destroyed that transmission. That's in the shop right now for repair. So if it leaks, get it fixed. Because it can migrate down. If you're lucky, you can catch it before it does catastrophic damage on the vehicle. All right. One last uh, what thing else? You got anything? Warrant. One last thing on your warranty. Uh, go ahead. So, so rece- receipts, we can go high tech today. I, I know that this might be a little tougher. Not as tough for me because I have a tough trouble with this. But take a photo of it. Upload it to the cloud. I hate to say that. Take a photo of it. If you take a photo of the receipt when you get it, if you lose it, you nine times out of ten, you'll still have it. You save it someplace yeah, or true. upload it to the cloud, per se. You know, if you have the cloud documents, whatever. I, I, I always, You know, I always have my stuff in the cloud, and then it always gets wet when it rains. I don't know how that works, but I just my stuff <laughs> fall apart there. At uh, any yeah. rate, uh, if you upload, if you upload it, if you put it someplace d- digitally, like everybody does today, and if you don't know what to do, have your kids show you or your grandkids show you, because I'm sure they can do it without, with, at the drop of a hat. Where I struggle with this, um, it, right. it, it, when you upload it, it gives you your date and time right then when you upload it, so you got it. I use it. I hate to say it, but I use it for the Home Depot receipts because then I I can just flip back through them when I when I have to take my stuff back to Home Depot and say, there it is. And, and they look at it and they can scan the, they can scan the receipt from my phone with, cause the little barcodes on there. So that, that you can, one well, other thing that makes it a little helpful is, for example, if you want to send it electronically to a, to the warranty company, you can just attach it and email it to them. And then all of a sudden they've got mm-hmm. it and they've got the original copy. They're looking at it and then it makes their life a little easier. Sometimes they're a little bit, happier to talk to you about it because you've already got it in a format that they can pass around internally and makes it it makes it right you know their their crew can review it so sometimes i find right. that a little, little helpful um i know i know that's well, tough for us old guys but uh, it's the way of the world today when when brian bought his uh uh three-quarter ton chevy diesel duramax he bought a warranty on it. Warranty cost him right at $3,000 for the warranty. 
And since Brian owns a shop and knows what the cost of these things is, if a major component, yeah, uh, then wh- what he did is he said, well, so far it's paid $14,000. So a $3,000 investment, investment protected and covered him for $14,000. That was a good investment. So when you look at these warranties, look hard at them because there's nothing inexpensive about a car, a pickup, or a diesel pickup. There's nothing cheap on these things. So, all right, we got a call. Who we got? Uh, you guys got Marcos on line one. Marcos, good morning. Good morning. Hey, Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. My question is in reference to uh, the topic you were talking about, the engine and, and leak detection. I didn't know if there was such a thing as a diagnostic to do leak checks. And if something like that, what would it normally run? Uh, for example, my daughter's car is an uh, 07 daughter okay. Chevy Impala, and it drips uh-huh. oil. Somewhere it's leaking, but I don't know where. Um uh-huh. How would we go about detecting that leak if it's coming from the valve cover or if it's coming from the oil pan? First thing we do is a visual. A visual. We look at it to see if it's running down the side of the block, okay? that We just do a okay. quick visual, but we will put a die inside the oil. We will run the car, and then we use one of these fancy black lights, and it will tell you exactly where that oil is coming out. And you can you I can see. do it yourself. You can so go down the mm-hmm. Yeah, you can buy, a, uh, I think it's a two-ounce bottle of dye, pour it in your uh, crankcase, and run it for a while, bring it up to operating temperature, and it depends on how how severe the leak is, but if it's dripping, you should know it pretty quick. And then you okay. need some kind of a light. Uh, you used to be able to go down like Ace Hardware and buy, we call it a scorpion light. It's a little flashlight that's got a black light in it. Yeah, I've seen those before. And you, yeah, but you don't, it's, it's harder to pick it up with those little flashlights if you're in the sunlight. So you want to pull it under a shade or something like that, and then you can do it. You can also uh, take it into a garage. We would put the dye in it. We would use that big fancy black light on it, and we can tell you exactly how many different places this oil is coming out of. Because normally there's not just one oil place that's leaking. It's probably out of your valve covers, or it could be, or it could be out of the intake. Uh, It could be out of a, a, a fractured sensor or something like that. But if you put that dye in there and you run it, you get you a good light and a hot battery in that light, and you go after it, you can find it at home. I know we can find it at the shop, but you can do it at home if you want to get an idea. Then you can call in and say, okay, i got valve covers leaking on it. I checked it with dye, and uh, can you give me an approximate on the valve cover rep- uh, repair on this? So it gives you a way to go. It gives the shop a way to understand what you're actually referring to. Okay. And then two more questions. Um, just flush it down. I mean, the engine clean it out. Is a certain kind of chemical to engine clean? So. Because I don't get confused. Well, I wouldn't matter because they would have the dye on it if I had the engine dirty a little bit with oil. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then don't would I have to? Engine. Okay. Would I have to um, drain out that oil then because it's got that dye now or a flush or no. something? No. Okay. Well, what you normally do, 
is when you put that stuff in there, it it actually we have stuff running in air conditioning units that's permanent. It stays in there until you know, because if you have a leak, we just shoot it with a black light and we can find the leak if it's got the dye in it already. You can run the okay. engine oil in it. It will not do any damage to the O2 sensors or anything inside the motor. So you have that oil that you can actually go back and refer back. You can even check it after you have it done. If the engine oil is put in there or if you just change the oil and you put the dye in it, well, there's no sense in us changing the oil again unless we see a lot of debris going down. Then, yeah, we're going to change the oil again. But okay. the dye will actually give you a way that once you figure it out, because it's inexpensive, and once you figure it out how critical that stuff is, because that will come out as a fluorescent green or a fluorescent orange, but you can see exactly where it's coming out of the valve covers. Now, here lies the problem. If you put it in the engine and then you run it down the freeway and it's leaking and you go in there to track it, then it gets a little more <laughs> difficult with that little bitty flashlight that you got because it has done blown all of that uh, dye out across the engine because of the wind current coming through the engine compartment. So if you're going to do it, let it warm, just put it in there and let it warm up. And, you know, but if it's a small leak or you put it in there, you can drive it around the block or something like that, and you shouldn't have any problem at all because that die will, it'll just keep on giving. If it's leaking when it's sitting there, it should be able to, once you warm it up, circulate it through, it should, you should be able to pick it up within less than five minutes of where the oil leak is. Sounds cool, man. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Have a good weekend. All right. You do the same. Happy Super Bowl weekend. Yes, sir. May the best time. <laughs> have a good day. May the best team win. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See you guys. Thanks. 719-1490. 719-1490 if any questions you may have <coughs> on oil leaks. And by the way, they've got this little uh, leak detector that goes into everything that's liquid on your car, except you don't put it in a brake fluid. You know, I'm sure they've got one out there for brake fluid. I just haven't seen it. Normally, if you've got a brake fluid leak, you'll see it running down the side of the tire or out of the master cylinder or inside the firewall where the master cylinder actually bolts up to the uh, uh, booster. Or it'll if you've got a straight master cylinder without power brakes, which is very rare now, uh, it'll be coming through inside the firewall where the booster actually mounts to the firewall and it'll be running down the firewall. Brake fluid is very acidic. It will take the paint off. It's kind of easy to spot a brake fluid leak uh, because it will take out your paint. And for the ones of you out there that are playing with the brakes and you're putting fluid and topping it off, as they say, uh, don't do because the fluid you put in there will be at more contaminated than the fluid that's already in there within three minutes because it is trying to clean up the mess that's still in there. So if you're pouring fluid in there and you spill it on your paint, water is the diluter. It will take that, and I mean water it off, because you leave that brake fluid on your paint, it will blister the paint. That's a guarantee. And I have not seen the exception. You get water on that thing, you get it on there quick. Now, I don't know what your definition of quick is. Mine is like right now. And get it on, get it cleaned off, and then you should be good to go because it's nasty. Battery fluid does the same dead burn thing.
All right. Any other questions on this stuff? Uh, 719-1490, 719-1490. We're going to get into some carbon cleaning and fuel system cleaning, what the uh, cleaning the carbon, like with a motor vac system, what it actually cleans, and why it's necessary. Carbon, you have carbon. If you have a gas-fired engine, you have carbon because that's a natural byproduct. The thing you want to do is make sure that you get the carbon out before it has a chance to get really hard. Then it becomes a little issue. If you can get its system clean and keep it clean, your fuel, de- your fuel delivery system as well as your injectors, um, throttle plates, intake manifold, injectors, valves, rings, combustion chambers, pistons, oxygen sensors, and even the catalytic converter benefit from this stuff. So it is really critical that you stay on top of it, especially with the gas direct injection motors, which is a becoming quite a little thing. Carbon starts building at 7,500 miles on an engine. We have put a camera down the bore of a 17,000-mile echo boost, and we had carbon buildup. We had a lot of carbon buildup. We also Then we cleaned it. We went back in with a camera with a monitor on top, and we inspected the engine to see if it actually worked. It worked almost. We did it the second time. We had to do the motor vac a second time on this engine to get the rest of the hard carbon, and we finally got it clean with the second uh, motor vac. So these do work. They're not a, uh, what do they call them, uh, a, some kind of a miracle elixir or something like that? In other words, you just pour it in and it a works snake, automatically? A snake oil. A snake oil. Snake oil, yeah. It's not snake, snake oil. oil. This stuff actually works. Of all the machines that I've had that we still have in the business, probably the most critical one for an automobile is the motor vac machine because it cleans everything. Uh, millions of cars today run at a level of efficiency considerably reduced due to high concentrations of carbon deposits accumulated in the fuel injection system, intake valves, combustion chambers, oxygen sensors, and catalytic converter. Carbon buildup clogs the fuel filter, reduces fuel flow, distorts fuel spray patterns, and limits fuel automation and decreases combustion efficiency. Carbon buildup gradually robs your vehicle of performance and fuel economy and may cause numerous problems such as engine malfunctions, high emissions, excessive fuel consumption, loss of performance, rough idle, and hard starts. Unlike the traditional method of dealing with contamination of carbon buildup, which only cleaned the injectors, the MotorVac system that we actually use, it's a total engine cleaning and decarbonizing system that generally gently strips away the levels of carbon deposit in your vehicle from intake to exhaust without disassembling the engine or removing any components. Back in 81, Toyota had carbon problems on their little uh, vehicles, and 
in order to clean the valves and stuff, you actually had to pull the heads off and clean the clean the carbon off with a scraper to get these things off the valves, grind them off, whatever you did. And they would shot they would shoot them with uh, walnut shells and everything else, trying to get all of this off. Well, if you stay ahead of the game, you can actually do it with a motor vac su- successfully through the life of the car. And th- here goes the the warranty issue. Now I questioned this because they said, okay, if you follow everything that they do, there's no place in a warranty book that I have seen that says you have to clean the carbon off of the valves or clean the injectors off the valves. However, there is a place in there that says at every oil change, add a can of conditioner to the system to keep it clean. All right? Now, that's in mostly on uh, for oil. You can put it in... Since there's oil almost everywhere, it actually transports up, and it has a mixture that goes in and starts loosening up the soft carbon and moving it on out of the cylinders and getting rid of it. But if you want to clean it from the intake to the exo- intake to the outlet of that system, you will need a machine to go on it. They sell stuff that you can buy, a little injector that you put on uh, – uh, a vacuum port, and then you turn it on, and it shoots a little can, about an eight-ounce can through it. Or some of them's got twelve-ounce cans now. They keep going bigger because they realize that the eight wasn't getting it done. That does a good job in certain areas. It does not clean the fuel rails like they're supposed to. The motor vac machine actually pumps the fuel rails, cleans them first, and pumps all the garbage out of that, so you don't shoot it down the injector when you're actually running a motor. So there is a gazillion things that you can do to keep this thing running. Uh, it, re- it can repair drivability problems. We used to have a saying over the shop, if all else failed, motor vacuum and find out what's going on. And we have cured a lot of cars' runabilities by using a motor vac. I remember when I first got the machine in, we had a Ford Taurus in there that the injectors, Less than 50% of the injectors were working. And I told the client, I said, you know, I've got this new machine that I want to try on this before, and I had his approval for all new injectors on it, too. I said, let's do this first. (coughs) Excuse me. If it don't work to clean the injectors, then I won't charge you for the motor vac. I'm going to use you as as a guinea pig. He said, okay, let's do it. It brought every one of the injectors back up to performance, all of them. So if you, this stuff actually works, and it works good. It also reduces harmful emissions, uh, lower smoke uh, occupancy, extended fuel system component life. You keep it clean. It's designed to run clean. If it wasn't designed to run clean, they would have sent it from the factory already carboned up. Think about it. Improves fuel economy. Yes, it will. I've seen fuel economy improved up to two and a half mile per gallon on these things. If you need it and it's plugged in, plugging up and not the spray pattern's not right, it's going to take more fuel to fire off the cylinders. So, yes, it does that. And then it claims it restores new car performance. I have seen it. I have witnessed it. 
The MotorVac comes with a complete warranty on the MotorVac. We will give you your money back if it don't work. That's how critical this thing is. And by the way, I've never given anybody their money back except for one person. And it was a lady come in, had a motor vac, and it was dirty as a son of a gun. And we cleaned it up, and her brother come in with her and said, you took advantage of her. And I said, no problem. I wrote him a check for the motor vac. I said, have a nice life. And I told her, I said, your motor is clean now. So in about 10,000, 12,000 miles, depending on how you drive it, you're going to need to have another one done to stay on top of this. And then I turned around and said, y'all, y'all be good. You know, happy motoring. So, yes, it does work. The MotorVac Carbon Service will immediately help your engine functions more efficiently by unclogging accumulated carbon deposit from the fuel injectors and other engine components. It does work. So that's a complete, I used to say it's kind of like giving a motor an enema. It just cleans everything out. And um, then they said, Jerry, isn't that a little harsh? I said, well, that's a fact of life. I mean, it's, it, it does clean the engine completely, so I'm very happy with it. And we've seen it a couple of times, well, more than a couple, actually, where we have to do the motor vac actually twice in order to get all of it out of it. And... Uh, but that's hard to predict, so this, we do the first MotorVax on you, the second MotorVax on me, and we will get it. The vacuum on the engine is supposed to run around 21 inch pounds. And when you do, I, I pull my father-in-law's little 66 Ford uh, um, Ranger in. It had a V6. He had 60,000 miles on it. It had never had anything done. I know how he drives, which is slower than I actually drive. And we pulled it in, and I said, uh, that's right after I got the machine. And we put it on his truck, and we didn't tell him. And he called me about a week later, and he says, "Uh, what did y'all do other than change oil in my uh, little truck? And I said, why? And he said, well, it runs better in a Fuel, uh, the uh, fuel mileage is better. And then I told him that little sucker was dirty at 60,000 miles, big time dirty. We were able, had to do it twice to clear it. But the, mo- the vacuum on his engine, when we plugged the machine in, it read the vacuum, and it was at 16.1. When it left the shop, it was at 21.2. That's how well that motor vac worked on his little car. And so after about 60 or 70 motor vacs, I feel pretty comfortable in telling you that this system works. So if you haven't had it done on your car and you're running a car that's got 20,000, 30,000 miles on it, it's time to be putting it in there, especially especially if you've got gas direct injection. It needs to be done at about 7,500 miles. You know, nature of the beast, nature of the beast. You have soft carbons. You have carbon buildup in that motor. There is no way to keep it out. You just have to treat it. It's like having a bug bite. You got to treat the bug bite till it quits itching. Then you're good to go. Uh, at a fuel additive, they're putting fuel additive in it. I highly recommend a fuel additive. Um, like I said, your owner's manual on these new cars will say it by, at the oil change interval, put a can of blah, blah, blah. And it's a manufacturer is a Ford product or a GM product or Chrysler product, and you put it in the engine, and it runs, it, it'll, it'll help, help 
take care of the shelf carbon. It'll move it on through. It'll keep it softer longer. Hopefully, it will keep it so that when you do have your motor vac, then the motor vac goes in and cleans everything else out. It helps in the fuel trim of the engine. I just, it's good stuff. So keep that in mind when you're driving around, you're putt-putting around, because every now and then, like my dad used to say, you need to take it out on the freeway and blow it out. Well, you can't take these cars out on the freeway and blow them out unless you go to a lower gear, which I highly recommend, because they'll run 100 miles an hour as fast as you can snap your fingers. And that will get you a sizable ticket. It'll cost a heck of a lot more than a motorbike. So just drive it. And remember, a diesel and fuel additives. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I <coughs> met a gentleman. <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> met a gentleman in the shop. And yes, day before day for yesterday and he was talking about he had an 08 dodge and he adds fuel he does everything he can he even pulled the egr out at sixty-nine thousand miles when it tried to quit running on him in la while he was over there cleaned the egr system out which you have to do on the 07s and 08 dodges before they come out with the uh diff and he uh I asked him what kind of additive was he using because he serviced that vehicle absolutely flawless, just absolutely perfect. And he said, I'm using power service, and I'm putting a quart in it every time I fill the tank up. And I said, okay, good. How low does the tank get before you fill it up? And he said, it gets a quarter of a tank. And I said, okay, think about it. If you fill up at a quarter of a tank, this you're treating 36 gallons. That quart treats 36 gallons. It's designed to treat through the full 36 gallons. So if you go down to a quarter of a tank and you put a can of additive in it, that means that you're increasing the strength of that. Then you, the next tank, you're down at a quarter. You increase the strength of the stuff that, you, that you've already got in there. And then you go the third time, and you've got triple. And I said, all you're doing is you're leaving a lot of money on the table. You know, uh, put it in and calculate. Say, okay, I've already got a, a quarter of a tank that's already treated. It don't go anywhere. It stays with it. So I'm overdoing it. So you, you're over-servicing your fuel delivery system. So be careful with that. Read the instructions on it. Of course, it says pour one, one quart and at every tank full. No, no. You, all you're doing is wasting money. That stuff is designed for one quart will do the cleaning. If it don't clean out, if it's not running a little bit better, you think it should be running a little better, then the second tank, then you can put a quart in it and go ahead and run it through. But diesels are not grocery getters. They need to be worked. If they don't need to be worked, you need to keep additive in it. Just be careful. Be careful of how much additive you put in it, and that goes for cars too. So, and he asked me, he said, "What do you do?" I said, "I put mine in uh, about every third tank. I'll treat it, and that seems to be working real well now. It's still running good, and I'm not wasting a lot of money because fuel prices are high enough now. If you can cut the cost down by just not putting over over treating it, then you're money ahead, and you'll still get the same benefits." All right, we got uh we're about thirty seconds to the top of the hour, Jim. You got anything you want to add to that real quick? Oh, in thirty seconds. We could go for another three hours, but uh <laughs> in thirty seconds oh, we'll, we'll take take a break. 
pick it up. Yeah, we'll pick it up on the flip side. We'll be right back after these important messages. 